Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Hello and welcome to episode 43 of Brighton Rock Podcast. Yes, these are the delightful notes that we would normally be hearing firsthand down in dear old Brighty as the mighty seagulls strut out onto the hallowed turf of the Amex. No doubt we will still hear those famous Sussex strains of the old wartime marching song, but only from the comfort of our own living room sofas when Albion hosts Arsenal in the first of nine crucial clashes before the season's final end. Yes, this is it. Project Restart is afoot. And the Prem's games in hand have already been played for Villa, the Blades, Mancashter, Shaky, and the Gunners. And all went off without any hitches whatsoever. Yeah, imagine if something horrendous like, say, the first ever goal line technology failure should have occurred in a match featuring relegation candidates. At least our best mate VAR would help if ever that unrealistic situation should occur. Hey, guys. Anyway, Peter, Robin, and I are all back. Hi, Pete. Hey. Hi, Robin. Hey, Russ. And we are recording this special preview episode to build up to the big kickoff in the company of three special guests as well. Matthew Mattioli, Jason Saunders, and Adi Adigun. Ladies and gentlewomen, I give you the Gooners. How are you, boys? Good, thank you. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. Lovely, jubbly. Okay, so I've got to throw in some London references, haven't I? Anyway, (laughs) we'll start by acquainting all the listeners with you guys. Adi, first of all. I've known you from when I first came to London way back in 1899. Uh, well, it was 1999, but it feels like it's been forever anyway. Um, I've, yeah, I mean, we, I came up and I was working my first job with you, wasn't I? And it's been downhill ever since for us, isn't it? That's right, it has, it has. It's uh, been a while. It's amazing <laughs> to think how long it has been, actually, uh, since we were first acquainted. Um, and uh, funnily enough, um, acquainted over our mutual love of film. Yeah, big film fans, both of us, yeah. And um, yeah, we worked in a cinema, to put it bluntly, uh, which was the perfect place for us doing that job. Um, And all good fun. And you are, as I quickly found out, also an Arsenal fan, as we've just mentioned. You did have a season ticket, didn't you, beforehand, but not at the moment, is that right? I did, yeah, not at the moment. So we actually, at uh, where my parents live, um, had a lodger called uh, Takeyuki Nishigaya, and he played for Grand Passate, um, he uh, was actually invited over by Arsene Wenger um, to really disturb his spurs as a coach. His knees went early as a player. And... Did you just say spurs? Oh, dear. Uh, <laughs> That's not a good yeah. start. Where <laughs> word that is. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Unintended, <laughs> yeah. I suppose I should uh, uh, pinch my nose and turn around three, uh, anti-clockwise three times to take the curse off. But, um, um, but yeah. Uh, invited over really to um, train uh, with the well, r- really to kind of understudy Arsene and just uh, learn from um, from the greats. Really, his knees went and ended his career early. Um, and coming to 
then ended up staying um, in a, a granny flat, flat my parents have at the back of their house. And long story short, we became friends. And um, yes, yeah, so I used to, uh, I went to quite a few matches with him, in fact, um, and uh, sat, sat on the, um, uh, you know, some, sometimes on the uh, North Bank, but normally the East Stand at Highbury. Uh, so yeah, then became a bit more of an active um, uh, gooner, really. Uh, and um, yeah, just, uh, you know, I was um, in Highgate and grew up just off Upper Street. So Arsenal's my local team. And uh, according to Family Legend, the first time I saw Arsenal was when they won the Cup in 72. And my mum held me up. Uh, it's uh, hairdressers now, but number three, Theberton Street. And you can clearly see Upper Street. And as Arsenal went by on the bus, I started gurgling and dribbling or something like <laughs> <laughs> my mum was like, oh, "Okay, that's good. He can support Arsenal like his big brother." So, um, so yeah, it's been a been a journey, and uh, I do miss the matches at the, um, uh, you know, at the Emirates. And uh, the match yesterday actually was the first um, uh, match at the Etihad away match against City that um, I haven't seen in about four years because uh, um, I watched them. Uh, I, I got to to City. Um, uh, pretty much every, well, every single season I see the away matches. So um, it's glad I missed last night's shocker anyway. <laughs> we should explain, um, five of us on here out of six, it's the most we've had on at one time. Um, previously, four was the limit. So this is um, br breaking new ground for us. And five of the six people on the screen here tonight are all based in North London. Four of I'm, them not, not, are, I'm not based in North anymore. Oh, oh sorry, yeah, sure, in South End, I knew. Oh, yeah, so yeah. should really mention that. Were from North London or have lived in yeah. North London. Um, the other one is in the northeast of England. Um, but, um, Peter, you're from North East Finchley. Finchley. East, East, East Finchley, Finchley yeah, yeah, originally. So, so you will probably know the other two guys here tonight from uh, the Guna representation um, in terms of areas and stomping grounds, if, if not acquainted directly. Um, Matthew and Jason. Well, Matthew, I met you first and I met Jason through you, didn't I? Um, yeah. we, we met through work, didn't we? I was giving you driving lessons. You were indeed, <laughs> yeah. And you're still talking and, um, to him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, it worked all right, because we, we shared um, a mutual love for moaning about football, didn't we? And uh, friendship was born. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking around the time I was doing driving lessons, there was loads of like FIFA scandals and things like that. And we kind of bonded over our hatred of like Sepp Blatter. So um, yeah, it was quite a nice, quite a nice thing. <laughs> yeah, and um, we know each other, it's going back quite a few years, this was now already. And um, through your links with, it was Finchley Catholic High School you went to, didn't you? Yes. And am I right in saying, Jason, you also went there? Nope. Is that no, 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 I was at, okay. um, I met so I met Matthew through Joe Robinson. Ah, right, yeah, okay. through Arsenal as well. Who is another old um, yeah. schoolboy yeah. from there? Yeah, yeah. So, so your links have just sort of just come through Arsenal, and um, you guys, along with a load of others, decided to set up a football team at one point for Sunday football, and then in your wisdom, inverted commas, uh, decided to ask me to be manager, which I mm -hmm. still am about four or five years later, and we've gone from <laughs> well. Weakness to weakness, haven't we? <laughs> no, it's been going all right. Ticking along. Um, what do you think about that, guys? I mean, you, Matthew, you don't play anymore, but was that a bit of a labour of love doing that? Labour, certainly. Um, <laughs> no, I loved it. I loved it. It was great. Um, you know, it was just playing football on a weekend with your mates and um, that was, you know running it and, and all that you know who who doesn't want their own football club yeah absolutely and the man who is sitting well beside you or down below according to the uh, the arrangements here on our zoom chat um jason is a bit of a player he's an all-rounder he leaps like a salmon he's got an engine <laughs> that you wouldn't believe mind you matthew you have as well that's an engine huh. and so um, jason's just an all-rounder isn't he he's your classic um everywhere man yeah jason's um, yeah. a good player I just, exactly. I just love, I just love football. Literally, from from the age of I would say ten, just playing wherever I wanted to play. Literally, I started off as a defender, and um, just literally just for oh, I play there right back that someone was injured, just getting minutes, and it just worked in my favour. And then that's how I just built up knowledge of football as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you've been, you've been with the team for a long time now and always start the show. We always miss yeah, you when you're not there. About five years. Right. I think about five years now. Yeah. You worked with us in our first season, Jason, but it was, a, it was a coup when we got you in for our second season, definitely. Work in progress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good, yeah. And um, yeah, we're still ticking along nicely, except, of course, at the moment because of lockdown. But uh, anyway... Um, speaking of lockdown, how's lockdown been for you guys? What have you been up to or not up to? <laughs> Work. <laughs> That's about it. I mean, have you, uh, have, you been, have you all been working from home or have any of you yeah. been furloughed? Yeah. I've been, yeah, working from home. Basically, I'm working from home uh, about four days a week because I'm a builder management service. So work from home Monday to Thursday and then Friday I'm probably in for a couple of hours just to do PPEs and maintenance checks on the building. So yeah. it's pretty much keep me busy for yeah. the last few yeah. weeks. And Addy? But yeah, I'm really busy uh, with work, with school. Um, obviously, uh, with the lockdown, it's been a bit odd. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, trying to create homework um, remotely, setting it up on a, a school facility, a student facility called Show My Homework. Um, you know, setting the deadlines, marking it, giving the feedback. Um, uh, I'm doing a bit of the kids, so setting some work on a platform called Lexia. So, you know, there's enough to do. And obviously we're doing, um, I've got the school mobile as well, one of the school mobiles. So I'm one of the half a dozen um, uh, sort of pit bulls, really, that are chasing up the kids because sadly a lot of them are losing motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, the- <coughs> aren't turning up to the remote lessons now a lot of them are logging on and sort of vanishing <laughs> um so you know we cottoned on to that they're very resourceful um and let's face it on the one hand you can understand the world has stopped and it's probably the last we hope um but certainly the best opportunity to jump off the world that stopped turning so you can kind of understand it but you know a lot of the kids are very vulnerable and um uh you know and they're not in the best situation a lot of them in terms of their circumstances um so you know this has put them at a massive disadvantage so uh yeah working at at school albeit remotely every day um you know and uh you know what it's like guys uh you've got the chores and the errands to do as well so uh you know it's um yes pretty full-on yeah yeah, well, it's certainly been weird times, isn't it, with lockdown? And um, I mean, just it's unprecedented. It's bizarre. Uh, obviously, it's created this weird thing, sort of stirring things back to football. As this weird scenario with the season, we've got what has been nine games to go. A couple of people had games in hand last night, which we'll get onto in a moment, I think. Um, but uh, in general, you know, for everyone else, nine games. And uh, what was your take for, again for the Gooners first? Um, I don't know who wants to go first on this, but what, what were your views on Arsenal's season so far? Um, were you welcoming the break and are you happy to see football return? <laughs> I don't know. Do you want Matthew, do you want to go first? Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously, it, it wasn't the kind of season we'd want to have um, up until the point of lockdown. But, you know, I, I kind of think we started to look better under Arteta when he come along and we were on a little bit of a roll before lockdown come into effect. But um, I guess last night put an end to that role. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a bit, bit un- unfortunate, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> to say the least. Um, Jason, I mean, do you generally feel the same about season yeah. up until now? Arteta's yeah. at least a uh, spark of hope, isn't he? Yeah, I think I think with the season so far, I think lockdown for us came at the wrong time. Yeah, we was. I think we had we won three in a row before lockdown. Um, <laughs> obviously, going to, going to Etihad is a tough ask anyway, so the result probably would have still been the same. But I think taking anything out of yesterday, it gave a lot of the kids a chance as well. So I think he's just using the, the last nine games as a pre-season, just to obviously see who he can rely on, who he can trust going into next season. And obviously the funds are going to be a bit short, so yeah. I think it's tough times for him. But I think I think that's the positive for us. I think you look at the yeah. youth um, yeah. and the the talent in the, the younger members of our squad. Look at those coming through our youth system; it's fantastic. So you know, if we can harness that, then you know, there's no reason why we can't do a lot better next year. 
Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think there were some rumours, I don't know if Robin or Peter, if you can sort of cast any light on this, but I think there were some rumours that Arteta was very close to the job for Albion um, further back in time beforehand. There were rumours, weren't there? Do you know if there was any him. truth in that? They wanted him, um, but bluntly didn't want to go. Hmm. Yeah, this was at the I mean, time. It, it was fit, only we're talking. Oh, when was it? Yeah, it was. I think when Hutton went, right when Hutton had first gone, um, he was the name that was in the frame. But at that point, um, he was reluctant to go. Um, I think partly because his style of management, I think, is probably not suited to a team in our. Mm. situation I mean we don't have the luxury of time really to have a new manager come in I suppose we did it with Potter but I mean I don't think we would have had the luxury of someone to come in as their first proper managerial job into a team who's just sat their manager after just staying up again um, and also to be blunt he's too good for us to be honest I think mm-hmm. it's a at the same time as well, he's he's um, he's a new fish as well. So he's yeah. obviously his first managerial job. Mm-hmm. So coming to a club like Arsenal as well, there's a lot of question marks over him. But yeah. what he's doing at the moment is positive. I think okay, not obviously yeah. the results. It's taken the results. He's had quite a few draws and and not many wins. But I think the atmosphere and the attitude around it that he's created at the moment is is a step in the right direction. I mean, yeah, as, I mean, as an outsider, you can see what he's trying to do. And I think he needs, it's the same as he needs a couple of transfer windows because, yeah. again, as an outsider, um, the defence is still a shambles, to be quite blunt yeah. about it. Um, yeah. We're watching last night. You can't, I don't think anyone would argue about that. Kind of. And I suppose, I mean, to me, Arsenal's central midfield has been the issue for the last, I don't even know how many seasons, to be honest. Is that not that? I mean, obviously, we hark back to kind of Patrick Vieira type figure, but there's not really someone who's consistently there to take hold of a game and run it. Yeah, I haven't seen a probably the outside. Yeah, I haven't seen a good pair in intentional midfield for Arsenal since Vieira and Gilberto Silva. Mm. I think mm. it seems to me from the outside looking in, and I think this might even go back to when I said when I was giving lessons to Matthew, we're driving around chatting football. That I think at the time it was a Goldie or something that just seemed to take years and years to get resolved when it could have easily been certainly resolved to a large degree, if not the perfect fit. Um, and they just they seem to be very slow in making any of the significant moves they need to. They always seem to be a little bit of a step behind yeah. where they always, should be. Always trying to sign expensive wingers, but never. Yeah. <laughs> And the other yeah. issue from you guys' point of view is the contracts as well. I mean, Bamiang's having it again now. Yeah. He lost Ramsey. Um, thingy what's uh, Sanchez got sold quite cheaply. Did wasn't he quite low on contract as well? There's a. It's yeah. quite yeah. odd that you leave it quite so late for contract. What's the... Yeah, you'll have thought they'd learn from their mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was, there was talk after. I think it was after Ramsey, or I can't remember who, but but they were saying, you know, we're going to start contract conversations when players have got two years left and yeah. we want it done before the end of that season. Otherwise, they go in the, yeah. in the transfer window. And I think that's where we are with Aubameyang at the moment. So, um, I think he signs a new contract or he's gone. Yeah, yeah I think it's got to be, really. Which I mean, you think, think it'll be? Yeah. Any I don't think he'll sign, to be honest. But no. I, think, I think I'll tell probably try and keep him Beyond well, he's second only to Vardy in the scoring, isn't he, at the moment? He's such yeah. a valuable asset. I've always loved him yeah. from, the, well, from the Dortmund days, anyway. And, I've seen and, it, and if, it's, if you're honest, this window's not going to be that big spending. Is it worth... Will, it, will, it, will you get the value yeah. for him? Or is it better uh, to try and keep him in the hope of qualifying for the Champions League next year? I think it's a gamble to put you take, I reckon. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Addy, any take on it in terms of season oh, so far, etc.? Well, well, you know, uh, we've had... 100 odd days off um so you know it was uh would have been great to come out of the <laughs> you know um out of the stalls sort of um you know full pelt but uh um but yeah you know it's um you know we're hovering sort of around the really the position in the league we normally see Tottenham you know it, when we're in our glory days <laughs> so you know um it would have been nice to have back three points yesterday um, and I suppose there's always hope uh, went in at half time at nil-nil but um, 
you know, it's, uh, I, th I think it's all those familiar issues that, you know, we don't have, um, you know, the, the midfield, the central midfield, the defence, um, the contracts. So, you know, there's something, there is that spectrum of some structural kind of um, difficulties that Arsenal seem to have. Um, operationally in terms of the team and also in terms of, you know, if you like, the governance or the management, uh, the, the executive management. So um, I think, uh, yeah, all of that obviously feeds into how a player feels when they come to the, the end of their contract. And you can't blame people for saying, well, you know, um, if they're selling their good players cheaply or if they're selling their good, good players full stop, um, you know, and people, you know, uh, can see Arsenal's weaknesses and um, Arsenal, for some reason, aren't trying to strengthen those weaknesses. Um, all of that's going to feed into the mindset of a player. So, it, you know, when we do happen across someone as good as Aubameyang, I think it's going to be really hard to keep them. So, uh, yeah, but, um, but yeah, just... Uh, yeah, it's, it's disappointing to see Arsenal uh, languishing in ninth place. You know, yeah. Well, if, if you were to lose on Saturday, we'd only be eight points behind you, which is, I know it's still eight points, but that's not the amount of points difference you should be having from a side like us with respect to ourselves. Um, yeah. So, yeah, not, it's not what you'd expect anyway, put it that way. But uh, speaking of outside looking in, as we were saying about Arsenal earlier, what about you guys? What's your perspective of Brighton since we've been in the Prem? This is the towards the end of the third season we've been up. Um, what's your take, for example, on how we settled into the division? What you thought about the Hewton sacking? And what's your impressions of Graham Potter football from the bits you have seen so far, if at all? I'll be honest, Brian pissed me off because <laughs> <laughs> you, good, every, good. Time, every time I think, you know, I'm going to give you a little bit of stick about Arsenal beating Brighton or something like that, you'll come and you'll get a result against us. And it really grates. <laughs> so, I know you um, picture my cheesy yeah. grim face, can't you? <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I just want to be able, uh, you're a team that I kind of feel we should be beating, but we don't. Hmm. You know, you, you, you've got a lot of steel. In your team, and I think that's probably what's um, yeah, what's kind of worked for you. Very hard to break down. Yeah, because I've seen very extremely hard to break down. Especially um, was it you beat us in December? I think it was. Yeah, you had the Emirates as well. Yeah. Two, one, that, three, two one, one, yeah. one all, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, and then last <laughs> yeah. season, if you know, we beat you last season. Um, we qualify for the Champions League, and yeah. you, know, you, you know, you took a point off us. Yeah. <laughs> Should have been yeah. three as well. Should have been three. Should have been yeah. three. Yeah, with an open goal at the end almost, didn't yeah. we? Missed off Ross Smith. And he put it out for a throw on or something from I think, I mean, Arsenal, you guys have been unlucky in that you've actually been on the end of only a, probably a handful of times where we've actually played a full game at Premier League quality. So the game at the Emirates was obviously that's the first time we've won away from home against one of the traditional top six. The game. The, right. Was it 2-0 when Murray scored 2-1? 2-1. Again, that was, at that point, was really the first time that we'd properly gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with a big club. You've been unlucky in the fact that we just, like you say, we seem to save the decent performances for, for you yeah. and Man United, actually. Yeah, days. that's the thing that's been talked about a lot, that Brighton have got a really tough, we've obviously got a really tough running coming up because we've got you guys, United, City, Liverpool to play at home. But we're actually unbeaten at home against you and United in the four games we played with a crowd. So we're so by losing the crowd, we're potentially losing, you know, obviously quite an advantage there. Mm -hmm. And people were saying, oh, well, you're never going to get any points from those. But actually, we've got 10 points from you guys and United the last two seasons mm -hmm. at home between them. I wonder how much is the psychological thing about who you're playing. Knowing you've beaten them, you go into it with a, a particular confidence that you wouldn't have, say, if you go up against uh, Spurs and you never get a result against, sorry, guys, uh, or a Man, or a, a Man City. Well, we've not got a result yet, but well, we've, yeah, think... we've played well, but not, you know, psychologically it makes a difference, doesn't it, I think. So maybe... I, mean, I think the other thing is we were lucky with the, the December game was one of Lundberg's only games in charge, mm. wasn't it? Yeah. We yeah. peaked, yeah. the fixture list helped us out. We kind of got peak scheduling for that, um, that you guys were in a bit of disarray. But I mean, even with that, with trying to be as non-biased as possible, I thought we were comfortably the best. The, 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 win, the win was coming in that game. Yeah. I, I, remember, I, remember, I remember going to that game. I mean, I think... You could see it was coming. 
We had a good spell after half time, but other than that, I think it was pretty Yeah, there was that period just in the second half where you got the equaliser right at the beginning of the second half. David Luiz had that goal ruled out for offside, where bizarrely the liner didn't put this flag when he was five (laughs) yards offside. We should discuss Um, it a few times on here. Yeah, but I think there was that 10 or 15 minute period where I thought, "Mm, yeah, we could be in a bit of trouble. But other than that, say being as unbiased as possible, I thought we deserve the... I think the way you guys play suits us in a way as well, especially at home. Because you attack... Whereas like a lot of the teams that sit back against us, we don't, we can't break down. Whereas obviously you guys aren't going to come to Brighton and sit back and defend. So, yeah, yeah it would suit us definitely. And um, one thing, by the way, um, I think this goes for last season. Definitely goes for this season. I thought I was going to be meeting you guys for a drink after the game, and um, you didn't show up. Particularly you, Matthew. I'm sure we were supposed to meet. <laughs> you know what? I, I went to the pub just to see you, and you weren't there. So I went home. <laughs> Ooh, I, I cried on the bus. Have, you must have rushed in and out pretty quickly. <laughs> I, I did run into a few of his other mates and we, we had a few beers actually. It was quite a good laugh. But uh, disappointed you didn't make a show in there. Obviously, yeah, I can help the boss do the same. Oh <laughs> uh, dear, never mind, never mind. So, what do you think um, these nine games are going to present for you guys? Do you reckon. Uh, you're going to get into your stride and get that, that run going again that you said you had just before the lockdown. Um, and, how, and do you think we're going to survive as well? In our I, think, I think personally, I think the league as a whole, obviously not playing for so many months now, I think it's going to be it's going to feel like a pre-season effect, I think, mm. next few games. So it's going to take a while for everyone to get into their stride. Yeah. I think by that time, obviously, I think it's going to be a fruitful. I think, plus, obviously, there's no fans in the ground. Like, like going to Anfield, it's not going to be as daunting as it normally would be, for example. So, I think, yeah. I think um, more away teams stand a chance. I was looking at the Bundesliga, and apparently, the stats show that the away, away um, teams have been getting more results than the home team this season. So, that's, that's obviously after lockdown. Yeah, something like 43% going yeah. down to 21 or something, isn't it, so far? Yeah, so I think, so, I think form obviously goes out the window. Yeah. And I think, I just think um, it's... <laughs> Good for us. On the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seeing as we got one in 2020. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, God, we have to keep mentioning that. It's going to be this monkey on our back until we finally get a win. <laughs> and then we finally shed it because it's just ridiculous. I was saying, I'm off air, we've started this podcast in January. We still haven't celebrated a win yet. It's ridiculous. 43 episodes in. Okay, quite a few of them in lockdown. Nonetheless, (laughs) it's getting a little annoying. Um, But we'll see. I was convinced we were going to beat you guys in the original fixture due to being played. And in fact, it was uh, Arteta getting uh, the virus that um, prompted the cancellations that weekend, wasn't it? But um, I'm not so sure now. as, As Jason said, it's a free-for-all, anything. Yeah. Who knows what? Know. Um, it's a, it's anyway, an interesting one whether you guys will have an advantage having played yesterday in the sense you've warmed up a bit and you've got a game under your belt or if it's a disadvantage because your players will be more t- really tired having not played for so long and getting two games in three days. It could go either way, that one. I, yeah, well, we've got an advantage because we don't have to have Louise. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's been a lot on social media about Brighton appealing his red card today. Yeah. <laughs> We were gutted. Uh, all the players we wanted you to play it seems to have gone with injuries. Glenn Murray's had Mustafi in his pocket previously. Yeah. So. That could work. Yeah. Yeah. So Mustafi's arguably worse, actually, if anything. He yeah. is. Yeah. He is worse player, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, all being well, he'll be okay to play. Nice. Uh, he'll probably have a blinder and score now after we said that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how football works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think anyway, it'll be a tight game. I think it'll be a tight game. Um, yeah, I think so as well. And um, we'll see what happens. But we're, we, we've got a tough initial start to our run. We've got you guys, Leicester away, and then Man at home. So we'll, we'll see how it pans out. Anyway, going <laughs> Followed on by to... Norwich and then Liverpool and Man City, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet Norwich will be informed by then. Just so yeah. small, isn't it? Three wins out of um, three. Moving on to the week's news. And I'm going to start with another bit of music. Here we go. Um, this seems rather appropriate that uh, I'll start with this for reasons I'll explain in a minute. Hopefully you can hear this all right. Don't know where, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. Of course you guys will know what this is probably from today's news. Vera Lynn, 
103 years old, uh, Force's sweetheart, as she was known, um, died sadly. Um, she had a pretty good innings. I think it's safe to say 103 is pretty impressive. Um, she was a Londoner, albeit from the East End, um, but she lived in Sussex for decades um, towards the end of her life there. So I don't know, it somehow feels appropriate that uh, if it's going to happen, happen this weekend, when we're about to play you guys. But um, anyway, sad, sad to see that. A great war hero, legend of sorts, you could say, um, for, um, well, motivation for the forces, I guess. Um, in other news, though, uh, one of the biggest stories, really, this week has been fantastic. Marcus Rashford, um, been absolutely superb, hasn't it, that he's managed to turn around a ridiculous uh, bit of uh, performance from the government in terms of ignoring what was clearly something that just made sense to do. It was extenuating circumstances, definitely should be giving those vouchers to kids, and he's managed to persuade the government to do so. And they congratulated him, and, um, you know, it is fair play to Daniel Rashford. He did really well there, didn't he? <laughs> I'm, I'm glad uh, Mark Spatchcock uh, was praising of him so much, you know. But uh, <laughs> horrendous, isn't it? I mean, the government's been a shambles on all, all matters, really, yeah. recently. But... Um, I mean, it's great to see. We've been talking about the Black Lives Matter campaign on previous episodes, and if you guys want to touch on that later on, you're welcome to. But uh, young footballers making a good impression where there seems to have been so much bad press, some of it unjustified mm. in recent years. Mm. Isn't it great to see so many of the uh, particularly young or youngish players of today, even within the remit of who's playing, um, doing so well in giving a good impression of football and just doing some great stuff. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, I think the other thing is that this is only just just the most impressive thing he's done in lockdown. I mean, he's been for, feeding, what, four million kids? Yeah. I think, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not even as a one-off. This is like five or six things that he's he's been doing. I think they were saying that he learned sign language so that he could get involved in some project yeah, in deaf yeah. school. Yeah. I mean, like, it's... Yeah. There's nothing... Like, there was a thing on Twitter saying that he had done more... He had been a more effective opposition than Jeremy Corbyn had been in five years. <laughs> in terms of actually forcing government policy, you know, like in within in the space of three days, he'd, he'd changed the conversation, which is yeah. pretty amazing, really. Yeah. Yeah, really. Off, the back, off the back of what Hancock had said at the beginning of lockdown about footballers should be chipping in, which was an ill-advised remark. Um, I think Neville put it pretty succinctly. I can't remember exactly what he said. I think it was an F word involved somewhere. But uh, <laughs> he wasn't impressed and I don't think anyone else was really. Footballers are an easy target, I think. Yeah, yeah. I agree. So, so I was saying, yeah. actually, in the end, the Premier League players are going to play the same number of games in a much more stressful situation than they would have done otherwise, probably. Yeah. It's like, I'm yeah. not saying, I'm not, I'm, you know, I think they should, it's great that like Brighton's players have got something, given money to the NHS and that sort of thing, but, and a lot of them have helped where they're, where they're from and that sort of thing. But in, in essence, they, they're earning their money. They're playing yeah. the same number of games. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. And I they're, think... not, they're, they're putting themselves in theory in the line of danger. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, not risk, it's not a risk-free thing they're doing either. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think a lot of it is because they're young uh, and they earn a lot of money. It makes them an easy target. Um, why Matt Hancock singled them out um, for vitriol? It, um, I'm sure something he regrets uh, and is very ill-advised, even if he discussed it beforehand. Um, and lots of footballers do so much stuff almost in stealth mode that you don't know about um, and working in as it were enemy territory as an Arsenal supporter I mean the school I work at um, Glazemore Community School that's in Tottenham and I know for a fact um, even ex-players like led wow, loads of stuff uh, in the community that nobody cares about um, you know because it's not about red carpets and fanfares so um, yes what uh, um, what's been done recently uh, by young Rashford is really incredible as such a young man at 22 um, and uh, he's, he's done it with so so much feeling and uh, empathy really because of the, how he grew up um, mm. and some of the disadvantages he experienced um, and uh, yeah just to see young people like that um, doing so much mm. in their communities and beyond because this affects the whole country um is really uh really fantastic and i think maybe that was kind of 
partially, uh, I can't speak for him, obviously, but partially between that tweet, you know, when he was saying, this is England. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's, um, yeah, very strange times, strange days for all of us. And uh, this is just a really good news story that, um, I, for, for one, I don't tire hearing about. Yeah, I think yeah. the, for me, it's um, when we had the World Cup and the, um, the way we had those open interview processes, a big room, all the journalists, and the way the players were talking with the journalists and the media and really started to then connect with the fans, which is something that had long been lost, the likes of Rooney shouting at the screen and everything. It's, it's far cry from that, wasn't it? And I think that's what set the ball rolling in terms of this, yeah. this new dialogue that's able to happen between <laughs> players and the, and the media and the fans. And it seems to have gone on from strength to strength since then. Raheem Sterling is the obvious other example, speaking out about racism and um, the various others besides. And I don't know if there's a chicken and egg thing here, whether they were always going to be doing that. And it, that, that World Cup um, seminar stuff sort of just gave them a, a platform to start or whether that's set them on their way, I don't know. But um, either way around, it's been brilliant to see. And um, it's also been great, of course, since the games have restarted, We've seen people taking the knee uh, in tribute to Game of Thrones, of course. Uh, as again, not to mention Matt Hancock in a bad light yet again. But uh, yeah, it was definitely Game of Thrones. Nothing to do with heraldry going back centuries or anything. To be fair to Matt Hancock, wasn't that Dominic Raab instead? Yeah, I think it was, was actually. Yeah, you're yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Not that I want to stand up for Matt Hancock, but it was, it was, another, it was another incompetent politician, not but him. They, they all blur into one giant shamble shape. I don't know. I, I can't tell one from another. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, blob of incompetence, that's what it is. <laughs> oh dear. The depressing so thing was... is it actually is taking footballers to come forward and, or specifically Rashford, to come forward and see, make the government see sense. It's like, that's not really how your country should be run. It should be run on like, you know, actually the right decisions, not like such, you know, with things being pointed out when they're so stupid by, by footballers and them turning it around after like 24 hours later or whatever. It's bizarre. Yeah, I mean, I mean I think... the fact... So, you go ahead, Matt. Sorry. So the fact the fact that the government responded to that just shows how like they they obviously knew it was wrong, mm. and and they they felt they needed to kind of uh, come out and demonstrate that oh look we know it's wrong as well and we want to um, make it better because a footballer had brought a load of publicity to to the issue you know they know about that they know about all these things um, but they've chosen not to do anything about it. Um, that's that's the most damning thing about the government. About mm. it. Yeah, yeah I was just going to say the fact that they can find twenty billion quid to keep the economy going, but they can't find a hundred million to feed poor children mm. is like when you look at it in that you think at, of twenty billion pounds, a hundred million is like a rounding error, isn't it? Yeah. Like it's yeah. it's not in the context of what you've got to spend. A hundred million is is not a lot to feed however many millions of kids that potentially might not get any other food i mean up here in the northeast in where i live near middlesbrough there are kids who rely on those vouchers who that is the only food they get in the day yeah yes indeed i imagine it's the same in in, you know in in parts of london i imagine there's there's kids in exactly the same position in parts of manchester and liverpool and birmingham and probably every every big city every small city so it's just you know it's it's shocking that that's the case anyway in absolutely united kingdom in 2020 you know um but for the government just think it's okay over the summer holidays for that for that not to continue for for children not to be be given that kind of lifeline which really is a lifeline you know um i mean just maybe Maybe they thought being the summer, people have got less appetite, so they probably want to eat as much. Or, I wouldn't be surprised get, if it's something as stupid as that. Though, we don't want to get too political as well. They've An awful lot of yeah. people who fund the Tory party don't pay tax over here because they're mm. somehow of their money in Switzerland or, you know, somehow in like, you know, kind of tax havens and that sort of thing. And they don't do anything about that, funnily enough, mm. where they could make a lot of money out of actually taxing people properly. And, you know, corporations like Starbucks who somehow managed to con the government into paying one P of tax. Exactly. No, that actually could change the world, you know, change quite a lot if they could do that. They could feed most of the country on that sort of money. Mm-hmm. I think on the wider... it's not the actual... There you go. You go, Jason. Okay. I'm going to say it's not the actual... I don't think it's the actual like, government actually... I think they're reluctant to actually do it. It's just the fact that somebody of his figure and the amount of followers that he has on Twitter has probably pressurised them to do it hmm. rather than go out and do it themselves. 
Mm. Yeah, absolutely. He's got like three and a half million mm. followers or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and that's where the true power is with that's those, those sort of numbers. Yeah. That's genuine power of persuasion of thought and opinion. So, yeah. yeah, and fair play to them. Thumbs up to them. And also, getting on to last night's matches, we're recording this on Thursday ahead of the weekend games, but the football is already underway. We had a couple of games in hand that we've gotten out of the way before the uh, the weekend action takes place. We'll get on to the action on pitch in a minute. Um, a couple of interesting incidents occurred. But first of all, just keeping with, with, with the uh, more politicalised themes, um, the, um, we had the, the players taking to their knee, as we mentioned. We also had Black Lives Matter written on the back of the shirts, which is apparently going to be a feature for the rest of this run-in. Um, great move, I think. It's great to see that the ante has been upped and that we're really now pushing this message. What's your take, guys? I mean, two, two of the three of you... Uh, Arsenal fans with us are um, black guys. So, um, what, what's your take, first of all, on it in terms of looking at the broader picture, looking at the history, your own experiences, how things may or may not have changed through the years? Um, how do you think things have been changing recently? What things have you been worried about and how good is this movement? Uh, albeit from obviously a very bad uh, trigger point, obviously. Yeah, well, I think um, for me, probably one of the biggest things uh, was to see a very, very visible and very vocal uh, representation of white people on the marches um, around the world. So uh, all in Australia, it's kicked off and it's more about uh, Aboriginal Australian rights. Uh, a lot of them, disproportionate numbers of Aboriginal Australians die in police custody. Um, so it's great to see on the streets of Melbourne and all the rest of it, uh, lots of um, white Australians over here in London, in Manchester, Birmingham, um, lots of white Brits um, and people of different ethnicities as well. Uh, so for me, that's probably one of the biggest things. And, um, and, and for, for people to be actively um, out there and campaigning right in the middle of... Um, uh, of a lockdown, okay, we're sort of easing off and everything. Um, that really speaks to uh, how seriously people are taking it. Um, given that it's affecting more black and minority ethnic people as well, and they're still going out and obviously there's no chance really to social distance, let's face it. So that shows you how important it is for the black communities. Um, but the fact that there were so many other different ethnicities out there um, that was really visible uh, and that was a huge, um, that, that was just really encouraging to see, um, you know, for me. Uh, and uh, I suppose, you know, obviously um, it's taken on a life of its own, uh, you know, the George Floyd murder, um, you know, we've got cameras, these things are recorded. Um, you know, uh, there was the, the Ghana murder before, which uh, again was uh, a chokehold, uh, not by knee, but by someone's, someone's hands. Uh, and again, the guy was screaming, I can't breathe. So these things are being recorded and people are beginning to understand, um, if you like, the attrition that uh, certainly the black community in America have been under for, for centuries, really. Um, and it's, uh, you know, you, if you think the Civil Rights Act was in 1965, um, and the black and white people are campaigning um, for structural changes because it has to be structural and it can't be just laws, um, you know, uh, and acts, you know, people have to change themselves. Um, you know, the fact that it's been so long since the, the Civil Rights Act in 65 in America um, and uh, anti-discrimination law here and things like this are still happening is, is a real shocker. So. Uh, so yeah, it's just good to see people coming together, um, and uh, you know, and um, yeah, okay, the statues might be a bit of a focal point, but it's um, it's really the structure and people that have to change uh, for there to be lasting change. Um, so uh, yeah, it's uh, strange days, isn't it? Very much. Yeah, and I think and, my um, my take on it as obviously a, as a, as a white person is that. It's I'm massively supportive of the cause and the attention that's gained during the matches. My hope is that it translates into consistent action over mm. the next few months, which is obviously we've seen when there have been racist incidents at football games, particularly what I'm focusing on, 
you've seen an initial kind of outcry amongst everyone, you know, calls for change. And it's kind of petered out. Obviously, this current movement is on a scale that, you know, I've not seen in my lifetime before. So my hope is that it, it, it kind of translates into action. And I think everyone in football has got a, a role to play in it. So I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, which is I'm hoping that it will encourage fans to call it out more if they see an incident at a game. I'm not saying they don't now, but I think there may have been a reluctance before. I mean, I'm lucky in the sense that I've grown up in an age where I wasn't going to football at the time when, you know, racism was really kind of rearing its ugly head. And actually, I've only, I've witnessed racism twice at football. Once is with Russ, which I'll come on to in a second. The first time I was about 15 or 16, and it was Ipswich away, and we had a, a guy on loan from us called Tony Rougier, who was from the Caribbean. Pete and Russ will, will know what I mean. And um, yeah, we were, we were away at Ipswich, and there was a guy in the row behind me that shouted, I'm not obviously going to say what he shouted, but I was at an age there where I felt that I couldn't challenge him because he was a, you know, fully grown adult and I was a 15 year old kid so and the second time was actually with Russ we were at Sellers Park um watching watching a Palace game Brighton Palace and um it's all this bizarre scenario where both teams actually had two or three black players on either side we had Kazenga Lawalawa Russ and I think someone else another black yeah, player it was, in our lineup. Was, uh, playing them? yeah probably yeah, and there was a guy who was literally standing in the row behind Russ and I um, and he was shouting not particularly nice things at Wilfred Zahar. And that was everyone in our row actually turned around and challenged him. Um, so that was, what, five, seven, seven, eight years ago, something like that? Uh, I think it was the league game in that playoff that season. season. So so I mean, seven years, but seven I mean, years we ago. were the only people that challenged him. I mean, other people would have heard it, but obviously we were directly behind it, but we were the only people that seemed to challenge it. So I'm hoping now, because if you're there's been such an outpouring of people supporting the movement that you then can't not call it out when you see it. Right. That's kind of them backing out to me. Um, so that's what I hope fans will change from it. Clubs. I mean, there was the Spurs incident, wasn't there? Was it this season? Spurs yeah. Arsenal. Yeah. Where they couldn't, oh, yeah. where they were, where in the end, the investigation was that they couldn't actually work out whether anything had been said. The investigation oh, yeah. The Chelsea one. Yeah. The Chelsea one. Yeah. I think they, Investigation didn't seem particularly thorough, given that in stadiums these days, you've got CCTV where you can zoom in and read the serial number on a £5 note. Um, it didn't really seem that much. So I'm hoping that clubs will properly investigate it and ba- literally just ban anyone for life without any questions. Yeah. Club and that's it, I agree be, with that, because I think there's, sometimes they've got to give two or three-year bans out of yeah, it. It's stuff just, and it should just be life. Just ban for life, yeah, absolutely. I don't really think about it. Obviously, we've... We've had Chris Hewton as a, you know, as a manager fairly recently. And he was obviously only one of, I think Chris Powell was a manager around in the scene. Yeah. There was only two or three, you know, um, BAME candidates in, in the whole of the Football League. The media, I hope, we've touched on Rashford. We've touched on Sterling. I hope this is going to be a bit of a watershed moment. They're not going to go after footballers, particularly young black footballers in the yeah. same way. I mean, even with Rashford, I've, we've seen the other side of it. There was an article in one of the papers a couple of days ago um, having a go at him for his car collection, still. You know, yeah, and if you Sterling's I mean, got over the years, it's been disgraceful from the media. Yeah, I mean, the fact is that mm-hmm. if you're if you're earning that level of money and you've got that level of profile, and you've done all the things that he has done in the last few weeks, I don't begrudge you if you've got a hundred thousand pound car. Mm-hmm. To me, it doesn't make any difference. The fact well, that you, yeah. Yeah, sure. At the same time, it's the clubs giving these players the money. So it's up to the players can obviously do what they want with their wages. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's not, it doesn't have to be, it's not because obviously of their colour or being singled out because they're getting this, that, and the other. You know, it's. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that the final point I was going to say is actually, I think the last thing is the authorities, particularly FA and the Premier League, have got to properly step up. And actually, you know, we see pitiful fines given out, really, when clubs' fans are guilty of. An incident, and actually, to me, might be alone in this, but to me, I think we've actually got to start seeing points deductions. Mm, yeah. And it's me, not just the really... FA as well, like UEFA as well. I mean, there's, yeah, all the territory, yeah, it's like punishment they get, yeah. Because actually, UEFA is a joke. If you're finding, yeah, even, joke. even if you up the fine, if you're finding a Premier League club, I mean, at the moment, it's a five figure fine that tends to get given out. Even if you were to find a Premier League club a million pounds, two million pounds, 
that's making no difference to them. Whereas if you're saying, fine, every time there's an incident, it's going to be three points or five points or whatever it is, that would force them to A, police it themselves a lot better and to B, I think the fans would self-police it more. Because if you know that in theory, you're going to lose three, five, six, seven points, whatever it's going to be, you're not yeah. going to let it happen, are you? Yeah, if you got banned for life and also cost your team the three points that relegated them, that yeah. would be a, quite a... Anyway, that's hopefully, me. I'm going to get off would, my um, after that. But. No, I, I completely agree with you, Robin. And hopefully the fans themselves who are racist um, would be disinclined to try and do anything but themselves. I mean, the final point is that guy that we referenced, that I will say this to you, Russ, the guy that we saw yeah. at Palace who was right behind us, the thing that irks me now is that when I, I've still got a season ticket for Brighton, despite living 400 miles away, which is another conversation. But um, when I go down there, I see that guy at every home game. He's got a season ticket about seven or eight rows in front of me, but the same seat. So he's directly in my eye line. So he's clearly not had, there's been no repercussions from what he did. And I doubt it was a one-off incident because I, yeah. that's your... If that's your inclination, that's the way you behave. I doubt that's going to be the only time that you've said anything. So. I bet you get away with it as well. Just yeah, I mean, we, did, we, we reported it to the steward and I think it was a, it was random. It was a British transport policeman who was actually in the ground. But um, oh, anyway, right. obviously there was nothing that came of it. But yeah, that's my, that's my sermon for the day. There you go. Yeah. Well, it, it does feel to me like this is an unprecedented wave of feeling that's come from this particular ever since the George Floyd incident it seems that there's there's something I haven't really seen before I've always been aware of um, the situation in the states to a certain degree and by extension the situation here as well but possibly I think that what's happened is it's it's crystallized in a lot more detail exactly how bad it is I don't think I realized quite how bad it was even though I knew it was really bad in the states it's even worse than I thought it was, and that's come to light. I think there's a load of other people that would have been less well-informed than I was, and they would maybe didn't know anything or very little, and they certainly would have learned a lot more. Social media moves things around a lot quicker, so I'm, I'm hoping that this is the greatest amount of attention it's got and will therefore be the greatest amount of movement for good um, going forward. If we're not going to do it now, we're not going to do it ever. Although you'd be surprised. I I looked, I was looking online yesterday and people on Twitter were genuinely saying they won't watch football again while Black Lives Matter is on the back of players' shirts and players are taking it. I saw some some of that as well. That does surprise me. Because really what has to happen is uh, people have to change themselves. Because you you can have a load of laws, you can even have inquiries. I mean, having... Hmm. They've had a Stephen Lawrence inquiry. Um, they've had an inquiry into COVID, the higher uh, proportions of black and minority people are dying and all the rest of it. They didn't even want to publish the results of that. Um, so so ultimately, um, yeah, you can have a law to say, right, we've got to have some kind of an inquiry and learn some lessons. But at the end of the day, if the people who've commissioned the inquiry and the people who are on it don't actually want to um, adopt the recommendations, um, or make any changes, the changes won't happen. So that's why I'm so encouraged to see so many young people of completely different ethnicities um, all out on the streets, um, all campaigning for the same thing, because I think this, there's just going to be a seismic generational shift over loads of things, um, not just this, but climate change on how we're running our economy, um, on education, etc. cetera. So... Um, it's, uh, I mean, if you just look at what we were talking about before, it takes Marcus Rashford to um, change a government policy over school meals. I mean, if feeding um, poor children of whatever background in this country isn't important enough for someone to wake up in the morning and think, oh, do you know what? We've actually dropped a plate here. Let's change it. Um, if you've got that mindset running the country, um, regardless of what your political affiliations are, if you've got that mindset running the country, I mean, you know, what, what is, you know, of course, um, what is an inquiry? Great, we've got an inquiry, let's publish it in a lovely, fancy, glossy, um, laminated brochure. Let's just do nothing about it. Um, and, and of course, you're going to get people also similarly saying, well, Black Lives Matter is on, on the backs of the shirts that I, I you know, um, of the team that I support, you know, I, I'm I'm not tuning in. 
So um, no, to me, it's, just, it's, it's mad to me because it's exactly the same logic I've always thought is you watch someone, and I think there was the incident obviously where Sterling was a bit had the racist abuse. Was that this year, last year at Chelsea, wasn't it? Yeah, was yeah. That that yeah. Um, and you think I never obviously I can't get into the mindset of someone who's got views like that anyway. But if I'm trying to get into the mindset of them, I don't understand how you can support a team like you're a Chelsea fan, right? So you've got four, five, six, seven black players in your squad, something mm. like that. Well, you know, uh, I remember... Oh, you see where I'm going with it? It's like you've... Yeah. You're, you're I remember the days when there, was a, there were chants, our N-word is better than your N-word. Uh, so, <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's a kind of... Yeah, thing. I, I say, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in that, in that mindset and I obviously I, I can't do it. But it, it, I've always found that was the same with that incident I referred to. Obviously, we, we had a guy who's, who's abusing Wilfred Zahar. We've got Kazenga Lualua and Liam Bridka on the pitch. You know, So if Kazenga Lualua puts the ball in the top corner, that guy's going nuts for the goal. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've never been able to get my head around that kind of... Uh, yeah, that's because he's thinking our N-word is better than your N-word. You know... Um... There is it's completely nonsensical. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. yeah. yeah. And I, but I guess well, we're of the generation, or I'm of the generation where I've just, so I've, I've grown up where it's it's never even really been a, you know, it's never been something in the back of my mind that I've even really thought about. You know, you know, I've never even say I've never been in that situation where it just it's it's even been sort of something that's in my conscience. It's just obvious to me. You go. Obviously, it's not an issue. Obviously, everyone is equal. Like, it's, that's, you know what I mean? It's just to me, it's, <laughs> I've been that generation where it's just not even been up for debate. Yeah. That's why I struggle to slightly kind of... Um, yeah. Very well. But, you know, you've got to remember, football is a microcosm of society. So, you know, when, when society changes as a whole, and it does seem that it is beginning to shift on its axis, that's when um, football and every other great profession and institution, that, that they will all sort of follow on in that slipstream. Um, you know, but the so sad thing is, I thought football had changed. I mean, until like four or five years ago, you very rarely in England saw examples of racism at football. But it yeah, seems to have increased yeah. a lot over the last four or five years. Yeah, it's really sad because it's yeah it had pretty much been stamped out i would say yeah, yeah. I would agree pretty much. and we've, we've mentioned it before but obviously um that brexit has initiated in some people um an empowerment to feel that they can start to express their what for the rest of us unwanted views um and a lot more confidence and um, than they should ever have been allowed to and, and that certainly it seems to be part of it the other thing i was going to say is systemic racism in terms of the way the system is built you know going back historically um that's still in place traditionally speaking it's the old etonians running the country and all the other stuff but things are designed to keep people down and that by extension interestingly goes into the rashford issue of um class rather than just race um it's the same issue it's the, it's the same sinister um background subliminal factor that's always lurking around and has always been in place um, see, anyway i was going to say sorry, kind of thing. did you see the interview that troy deeney gave recently about his no. prison? I, i've heard about it but i haven't seen it no um, i forget who he was being interviewed by um but he was saying that when he and obviously he was at watford when he got his prison sentence so it was not well it was about eight or nine years ago i think he went to prison something like that mm. and he was sentenced he was in prison for a few months basically and he was um when he got to prison, there was a quite a lot of people in there that he knew from his, from his upbringing, from his, who knew his dad and knew his brother and that kind of thing. So when he went in there, he was kind of thinking that he'd be all right because in a sense, he kind of, he knew a lot of the people that were in there. He knew what life would be like. And he said the thing that struck him was that he actually had people from his background coming up to him and basically saying, if we didn't have so much respect for your dad, we'd give you a lot of abuse basically and they said the reason we would is because you are in a very lucky position in that you can be an example to other people from our community from our background to show them that life doesn't have to be like this and you've taken that opportunity and mm. done your best to throw it away mm. he and he said he'd never thought of it like that before that actually you know what i mean he was kind of almost by 
he was almost in a very, not just a privileged position as a footballer and the money that comes with it, but in a privileged position as someone from his background who had the chance to actually show other people, young kids in that background, that actually life doesn't have to end up in a gang, doesn't have to end up in trouble with the police, it doesn't have to end up in jail. So it was quite, I found it really interesting that actually he hadn't thought about it from that point of view until people in his own community who were in jail with him actually, you know, made that point to him. Yeah. That follows on from what Russ was saying, which is obviously there's a system in place which is having that effect. And actually if you can get someone who can break through, to use a Gus Poyet metaphor, break through the glass ceiling, um, you can actually change it. But you've got to have someone to take the opportunity. And I think Rashford's the same. He's, you can have a lot of kids growing up who are looking at Marcus Rashford and thinking, there's a guy who's from my area, who's got my background, who has actually made the government do something. And a lot of footballers in that situation probably actually forget their upbringing as well and just, oh, I'm past it now. It's not a problem anymore. I've got all this money. Yeah. And he's clearly not. It's a... Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that on that note, we're going to take a, a short break before we get our epilogue stage, where we'll talk about the um, the match or the matches last night, and also about um, well another bit of news, um, namely Robin has made the news <laughs> in in a certain way um, with a little bit of a coup. We'll be talking about that in part two coming up shortly. Stay tuned. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.